the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Sometimes we dismiss how much we are loved by Him and valued by Him. But every life is valuable in the eyes of the potter. That's why He shapes it as seemed best to Him, because God was working on the vessel to bring about a perfected vessel for His glory because of the value that He sees in it. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. You are dearly loved and valued by God. This message is clearly demonstrated throughout Scripture. Through countless events, stories, and parables, God exhibits just how much He loves each and every human being. As Pastor Gary will illustrate in today's message, One of the most beautiful metaphors we find for this relationship is that of the potter to his creations. God has put himself into each one of us, and if he desires to shape us into the design he meant for us at the beginning of creation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, as he continues his message, Sanctity of Human Life. The human body and the wonderful complexity of it all is a testimony that every single one of us was the divine design of the potter. The other thing we notice here in chapter 18 of Jeremiah, if you look at verse 4, Jeremiah goes on to say, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot. Number two, another lesson we learn is that we are all marred, but we are not abandoned by the potter. We are all marred, but we are not abandoned by the potter. One of the things that can happen on the potter's wheel is that A lump of clay can get lopsided. It can get out of balance. It can get kind of hard to work with. Does it remind you of anybody? Yeah, we kind of all are like that. And so we're marred. We're sinful people. We've done things against God that have dishonored Him, sinned against Him. We are guilty before God. We are clay that is marred, that is out of balance, sinful. But instead of abandoning us, what does God do? He just reshapes us. 
He just reworks us. You know, you know, when God is reworking us, it doesn't feel good, does it? Sometimes, I mean, the pressure, and he's just beginning to apply pressure, and he's beginning to just shape us a little bit and mold us. It doesn't feel good when God is doing his work in our lives, but the good news is that he doesn't give up on us because he continues to mold us and to conform us into the image of his son. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. The potter will never abandon you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And he expressed his love for us supremely by the death of Jesus Christ on a cross for all those sins that have marred us. So rather than give up on us or abandon us as something worthless, he just reshapes us and he reworks us and he stretches us. You know, that refining fire is what causes us to become even more conformed into his image and likeness. And sometimes the intensity of the heat is not fun when you're in it, but it molds us and shapes us into a vessel that is perfected in Jesus. And God is so tender with us. He knows just how to handle us, and he shapes us rather than breaks us because we are all marred but we are not abandoned by the potter. And then the rest of verse four says, shaping it as he as seemed best to him. Number three, we are all valuable in the eyes of the potter. We're all valuable in the eyes of the potter. Now, I don't know about you, show of hands here, who's, gonna, who's willing to admit with me that once in a while, I, I like to watch Antiques Roadshow. Anybody else like to watch Antiques Roadshow? Okay. So some of you, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not like a follower of the show, but every once in a while when I come across a channel surfing, I'm like glued. Because what I love about Antiques Roadshow is how some unsuspecting person comes in and says, oh, this, this is a dish my great-grandmother used to serve lima beans in, and you know, I just don't, I don't really know if it's worth anything as it's pretty. And then there's some appraiser there and they take a look at this and they're like, seriously, your great-grandmother served up lima beans in this dish? Yes, yes, why? This, this is a very valuable piece of Chinese porcelain from the Ming Dynasty and it's worth $50,000. And then people get bug-eyed. They're like, $50,000? I can't believe it. And so that, I love the surprise of Antiques Roadshow. Where, and have you ever looked around your house and thought, this might be a piece of junk or this could be worth $250,000 and you just, you just never know. You just never know. But that's the joy of the Antiques Roadshow. If you've never seen it, I think it's like a PBS watch it sometime and everybody's you know eyes light up like I never dreamed it was worth that much you know sometimes we don't understand the value that we are in the eyes of God and sometimes we dismiss how much we are loved by him and valued by him but every life is valuable in the eyes of the potter that's why he shapes it as seemed best to him because God was working on the vessel to bring about a perfected vessel for his glory because of the value that he sees in it. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship in the original language is poema. Poema means work of art. You are God's work of art. What makes art Valuable. What makes art valuable is the signature of the artist. Otherwise, it's just stuff for a flea market. But with the signature of a famous artist, artwork becomes the thing of collectors, the stuff that is hung in museums. 
You bear the signature of your creator. And thus, you being made in the image and likeness of of your creator have great immeasurable value and worth. We are valuable to God. So much so that he would send his son Jesus to die for us. That's how much we are valued by the Lord. I'm going to say something that maybe you haven't thought of before, but I'm convinced in the whole abortion debate, one of the reasons why some people are pro-abortion is because they've also believed a lie, the pro-evolutionary theory. And the reason I think those two go hand in hand is because when you remove God from the equation of life, And you just resign yourself to think, well, I don't really think there's a creator behind all this. And I think we just all originated as pond scum. And then we eventually sprouted legs, crawled out of the pond, and over millions of years learned to stand upright and eventually get clothes and a job. I mean, if that's what you think, okay, and you remove the creator from the equation of creation, then you have diminished the value of human life. And no longer is life seen as something that is valuable and something created and designed by God with a purpose and a plan. But now life has just been reduced to something that is, well, it's dispensable, it's accidental, it's just a biological matter. I tell you, not so. The fact of the matter is that what God has designed is his work of art in the life of every human being that we likewise should cherish and value Because God does. Without recognizing the creator, the created has no value or purpose. This is why God would say about Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It's amazing that there was a purpose and plan for Jeremiah's life before the guy was even conceived. That's how much God goes back even before conception concerning every human life. And not just for Jeremiah. The Bible says concerning all of us in Revelation 17, 8, our names were written in the book of life from the creation of the world. God's design for humanity was that we might, through the exercise of faith, trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he, in his foreknowledge, understood, even before we were conceived, who would receive him and accept him, and wrote our names in his book before creation. It's an amazing concept. Listen, the pro-abortion argument goes, life begins at birth, and so therefore anything before birth is okay. The pro-life argument says life begins at conception. But I think to be more true to Scripture, we should be pre-pro-life, because God goes back even before conception. That's how much He values life. He loves you. He created you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. No life is unnecessary. Every life is precious to God. But now, here's where it gets heavy. If you go to chapter 19, I'm going to read the first six verses. Jeremiah chapter 19. Verse 1 says, this is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and the priests. And go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom near the entrance of the potsherd gate. There proclaim the words I tell you and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place 
made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew, and they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Tophet or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. The pottery image continues into chapter 19, only this time the imagery gets dark. God says to Jeremiah, I want you to take a clay pot that you purchased from the potter, the finished project, and I want you to go down to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and I want you to take with you some elders and some of the priests, and in the presence of all the people, I want you to smash that pottery. Just throw it down to the ground and smash it. And God was illustrating that in this way, judgment will come upon the people of Judah. Because they had forsaken God, they had rebelled against God, they had turned to idols, they had adopted the idols and the false gods of the pagan nations around them. Some of those gods were named Baal, Molech, and Asherah, and Chemosh. Baal sometimes is used as just kind of a universal generic term for all of these gods. The specific god that was one of the most egregious of all the gods was the god of the Ammonites called Molech. Molech was made as an image with the head of a bull and the body of a human being. And the Jewish people adopting the worship of Molech from their neighboring pagan uh, uh, neighbors made idols out of metal of Molech. Head of a bull, body of a human being, usually in a seated posture, arms outstretched like this, palms up. And they would hollow out the belly of this metallic god, this idol, and inside the belly they would light a fire and get a raging fire going so that the entire metallic body of this false god, this image of Molech, would just be red hot. And the palms upraised would be the arms upon which the Jewish people would lay their babies in the sacrifice of their children to Molech. This is how low it got in in Israel's history. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. It started in the days of Solomon and would continue for roughly 300 years they would do this. 300 years they would offer their children like this, laying, laying their children on the red hot arms of this statue named Molech. They would sacrifice their babies. It says in verse 6 that the valley of Ben-Hinnom was also called Topheth. Do you see that there in your Bibles? It's from a Hebrew word, Toph, which translates drums, because they would play drums loudly in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to drown out the shrieks of the children being sacrificed. We don't want, we don't want to hear this. So they just beat the drums. And God says, no longer will it be called Topheth or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, it will be called the valley of slaughter. You know, when you go to Israel today, it's one of the places we stop on our way to Israel, in our tour of Israel. The Valley of Ben-Hinnom comes down and forms the lower part of the Kidron Valley. And today, when you pass by, there's a marker. The Jewish people, never wanting to forget this low point in their history, 
refer to that place as the Valley of the Children. They call it the Valley of the Children, where so many tens of thousands of children were slaughtered to the false god of Molech and Baal. It's easy to read these stories and dismiss it and chalk it up to, well, these are a bunch of uncivilized, uneducated people who would resort to do such an evil thing, but we're different. All the while, condoning a modern version of it and calling it choice, just because seven out of nine men in black robes decided it was okay in 1973. And now since then, we have the blood of 60 million children on our hands. Nearly one-fourth of this generation never made it out of the womb since 1973. Nearly one-fourth. And as sad and sinful as that is, there's another side to this coin that must not be overlooked. You see, on the one side of the coin is truth, that abortion is the taking of a precious and valuable life to God. The Proverbs 6.16 lists six things that God hates, seven that are detestable to him, and the third thing on the list is hands that shed innocent blood. And thus we should defend life from the womb to the tomb. But on the other side of this coin, on the other side of truth is grace, that we need to be a place of grace and a people of grace for women who have had abortions and for the men who have been a party to them, so that people can know there is forgiveness and healing through Jesus. In a church our size, I am aware that just statistically, there's a significant percentage of women who have had abortions and men who are party to them. And you need to hear loudly and clearly that Jesus loves you And Jesus died for all of our sins. All of our sins. And that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. David would write in Psalm 103, verse 12. Horatio Spafford, in writing that great hymn of our faith, It is well with my soul, would say in the third stanza, My sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I told you that I had shared the best for last because some of you might be thinking that I may not necessarily understand what you've been through in regards to this subject, and you're right. But I know some people who have, and one of those ladies in our congregation was willing to let me read her brief story. So I'm going to read her letter, and not only has she agreed to let me read her story, but also to let her identity be known. And I don't want anyone to think that I forced her to reveal her identity. I gave her some options. I I first just simply asked, would you be willing to share And she prayed about it, got back to me quickly, and she said to me, you know, honestly, the Lord was already dealing with this very possibility for the last several years with me, so she was already prepared for this. And I 
just so commend her courage and her vulnerability in allowing this story to be shared. And why do I think it's, it's helpful for someone like her to share her story with you? In preparing for this teaching, I kept hearing this phrase in my spirit I felt from the Lord, that it's important to put a face on grace. It's important to put a face on grace. Some of you need to know and see a tangible testimony that God really is a God who forgives and loves, and this is one of those stories. I share it with you. There have been roughly 60 million abortions in the United States since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade, and I was one of the first young women among them to have a legal abortion in February of 1973. Pro-choice activists like to tell you that it's your choice, your right to make this decision. They like to tell you it is the quick and easy answer to an unexpected pregnancy. What they don't like to tell you is what happens after the abortion. Overwhelming guilt and remorse the chance of becoming infertile, and the destructive behavior patterns that often follow, all leading to unhealthy coping mechanisms, especially when you don't have a relationship with Christ. I walked into that abortion clinic with life inside of me. I walked out feeling dead inside. The shame I felt from my choice of abortion was like a cloud that constantly hung over me. Nothing could take away the self-loathing and absolute unworthiness I felt towards myself. I was never the same after that day, and for decades I struggled with low self-esteem and with allowing true intimacy into any relationships I had. On the outside, I appeared happy, the life of the party, but on the inside, I had a serious heart wound despite my best efforts to cover it up. Then, by the grace of God, He led me to this church and to Pastor Gary's sound teaching. I finally discovered what it meant to have a relationship with Christ, not a religion, that the Bible is the living, breathing Word of God. And that Jesus died on a cross, taking the penalty of my sin, my choice, upon his shoulders. But even after learning all these truths, I still felt like a second-class Christian. So I tried to hide the persistent feelings of unworthiness through works. I volunteered in every area of service, thinking that somehow I could pay off this heavy debt. It took going through a healing Bible study called Surrendering the Secret to finally open my eyes and heart to receive the healing that Christ had already given me. During those eight weeks of the Bible study, God led me to some pretty dark places that I would have rather kept in the recesses of my mind. But he showed me that in order for me to move forward, I had to go back and look at all of it through the perspective of his eyes. He gently and tenderly walked me to a place of greater peace and acceptance of his gift of grace and mercy. The Lord tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. What's the hope that God gave me according to his purpose by calling me to this healing journey? I never would have come to know on a level that runs so deep and profound what Jesus really did for me on that cross. Had I not gone through this healing experience from the Lord, I never would have truly known the depths of his love. Only Jesus could set me free from the shame, the guilt, and the regret of my past. Along with that freedom... Christ's sacrifice has even purchased for me a reunion with my child in heaven one day, a gift I surely do not deserve, yet it is the gift of love and forgiveness that Christ poured out on Calvary for all who would believe and receive. Hope is an open ocean, jump in. 
your new life. The book of Jeremiah that Pastor Gary has been walking through with you is one of prophecy. It's God's words to a nation that was facing the consequences of their actions. It's a picture of the future, but also a raw and honest look at the present situation. Jeremiah doesn't hide his emotions. And as you continue studying, you'll see his passion for his fellow Israelites and his deep desire that they turn back to God. We hope you'll tune in next time to continue studying this fascinating book with us here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can listen again online at our website cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take all of Pastor Gary's messages with you on the go. Find a link to download on our website or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. What a great way to fill your day with truth from God's Word wherever you are. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services are at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. on Sundays, and child care is available. So bring your family. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today in our study of the book of Jeremiah. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to join us again for Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know